All right, if you have your Bible, and I'm sure you do, uh, or one there's one near you if you don't, but uh, Proverbs chapter 3, we will be today working our way through these first chapters of Proverbs, and uh, we will be there in a moment. I have a relatively long introduction today, which is not terribly uncommon, but we got one today. This is graduation season. And every, every level of education from Head Start or, or from kindergarten all the way through high school and universities and vocational schools, young people are graduating and moving to the next level or into the job market. Graduation season can bring many exciting changes for our young people with, with high hopes and great dreams for the future. And even we older folks, uh, for us, there are many life changes that come our way. Through the course of time, kids grow up and leave home, girlfriends and boyfriends come along, marriages happen, grandkids come along, health issues bring life changes, aging changes a lot of things, relationships sometimes lift us up, and other times they let us down. Uh, Life is full of change. Uh, Sometimes we like it, and sometimes we don't. And while everyone has varied interests and goals and dreams for life, there is one desire that every human being I have ever met has in common. They all want to be happy. They don't all agree on what brings happiness or how to get happiness, but everybody that I have ever met, regardless of their background or their goals in life, everybody just wants to be happy. And this longing for happiness is not, is not automatically bad. It can actually be good. On the one hand, it, it is sinful to try to find happiness in ways that displease and dishonor God. But the opposite is also true. It, it is good to seek happiness in ways that please and honor God. God has established this world in such a way that when we do the right things through faith in Jesus Christ, it will eventually lead to greater happiness, greater contentment, greater satisfaction, even in this sin-cursed world. God has created this world and its moral laws in, in such a way that the more we choose to glorify God, the happier we will be. And of course, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you understand even a little bit about heaven... Uh, you will know that there will be eternal happiness, eternal joy, eternal fulfillment and satisfaction when we are with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. God created us to be eternally happy when we are in fellowship with Him. And that can only happen when we recognize our sin before God, when we admit our sin and our inability to please God, and, and realizing who Jesus is and what He did for us, We place our trust in Him alone to forgive our sin and secure our eternity. Then eternal happiness awaits all of us who know Jesus Christ, and happiness and fulfillment in this life come as we choose to glorify God and obey Him. Of course, this doesn't mean that there's not going to be uh, any kind of discipline times or any self-denial or any hardships. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. 
But it's clear from Jesus' words that self-denial is actually the way to rescue our lives. Verse 35, he said the person who wants to save his life is going to lose it. <clears throat> and the person who loses his life for the sake of Christ, that is not just dying as a martyr, but, but, but is willing to lay his life on the altar for Christ, he said he will give up his life for my sake in the Gospels, he's going to save it. Which simply means that we have to stop seeking our happiness with a self-focus and start seeking it with a Christ-focus. So what distinguishes Christ followers from the rest of the world is not that we've given up on this universal quest for happiness, but we now seek happiness from a different source and in different ways. We have learned from the Lord Jesus Christ that the fulfillment that we seek may require some hardship. Jesus said in Hebrew, it said of Jesus in Hebrews 12 too, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross as we preached a, a number of weeks ago. So we've learned from Jesus that the fulfillment that we seek in the future may require some elements of hardship for Christ now. And, and we never want to turn to self-pity because the sufferings of this present time, as Paul writes, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us, Romans 8.18. Nor should we be discouraged when these times of hardship come. Because we know, as Paul wrote in Romans 5, tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and, char and character produces hope, or a confident expectation. And he said, hope does not disappoint us, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as you and I seek happiness in Christ... It will, unfortunately, tend to isolate us from others who are seeking happiness other ways. Yet we shouldn't despair, even if we feel isolated. And I know many people who are trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they, they feel isolated. But because they are seeking happiness in Christ, and most of the rest of their friends and relatives are seeking happiness some other way. They want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we kind of feel isolated, but don't, don't forget the words of the Lord Jesus. Don't despair what Jesus said in Mark 10. He, should, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Do you get what Jesus is driving at? He's saying that, that the relationships that you and I may leave for the cause of Christ, He is going to restore to us in other ways, even if persecution comes. And ultimately, you get heaven too. So even in self-denial and hardship and loss, we must not give in to, to self-pity or discouragement or despair because through our growing relationship with Christ, it is bringing us greater happiness and greater satisfaction in God. So it's really, it's, 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 it's a beautiful and a liberating truth to think that God made us to be eternally happy. And we, and we want to use the Bible, God's Word, as our guidebook to happiness. We need to view the Bible as a divine prescription for how to be cured from unhappiness. Now, the medicine it prescribes is not always sweet to the taste, but the cure it brings is eternal joy at God's right hand. 
Great verse we all we people quote often Psalm sixteen eleven, speaking of God, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Great verse, Psalm sixteen eleven. Well, the point of my long introduction is that if we want happiness, we should seek wisdom. We should be pouring all of our efforts into becoming wiser next week than we are this week. And I know you've got your place here in Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Down at verse 18, he said, She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her or hold fast to her. So we should be pouring all of our efforts into becoming wiser next week than we are this week. Because if we want happiness, Solomon says, seek wisdom. And I'm not just speaking to young students and graduates uh, or people who are hoping to be off doing something, all of you young people here this morning. But I'm speaking really to all of us because so much of modern life has been professionalized and institutionalized uh, that we easily slip into thinking that it's the responsibility of a school or a professor or some institution to impart to us wisdom. Our modern world tells us over and over again that education is the hope of the future, that education will fix all of society's problems, and education will, will, will solve all of our personal issues. And while formal education is an important part of life, especially in certain professions, you can't purchase wisdom with tuition. It won't work. You can't purchase wisdom with, with tuition. Wisdom is a lifelong process of spiritual growth and Bible study. So when Solomon says in Proverbs 3.13, happy is the man who finds wisdom, he does not mean go to school and take lots of courses. That might be part of God's plan for a person. Yet the command comes to all of us, find wisdom, gain understanding, he says. And why is that so important? Because finding wisdom is the path to true happiness in God. Such an important principle for us. Finding wisdom, God's wisdom, that is the path to true happiness in God. Remember, wisdom is, is the life skills necessary to live a holy life. It is the skill in living that enables us to live to please the Lord. Our view of ourselves and our view of God and our view of others is going to be the correct biblical perspective if we have wisdom. So then we will know what to do and we will know how to conduct ourselves honorably in the eyes of the Lord. So Proverbs 3.13, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gets understanding. Everybody is looking for happiness or fulfillment. And if we do not have the wisdom to seek it in God, then we're going to search for it in empty substitutes that the world offers. Business people may look for it in climbing the corporate ladder. Athletes may look for happiness in, in winning games and setting records. Scholars may look for happiness in writing books and research papers that they hope their, all of their colleagues will, uh, will agree with. Gamblers may look for happiness in Vegas or maybe right up the road here. Musicians may look for happiness in, 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 in selling a billion records. I mean, the, the, the sources where people seek happiness apart from God 
are just endless. Alcohol, drugs, immorality. Some people even get excited about a good suntan. Streaming mercy, streaming, streaming movies, playing video games. Some people are never happy if they haven't played 16 video games a day. But, but the happiness that all those things bring is not true and lasting. It is not eternal. Therefore, it leaves us unsatisfied and frustrated and incomplete, thinking there has to be something more out there. Uh, but, but, but the ultimate and eternal happiness that we crave is only found through God's wisdom. And therefore, it is absolutely essential that we get wisdom, as Solomon has said repeatedly. True happiness will come to us as a result. Now, in these next verses, we're going to look at verses 13 to 20. Solomon explains to us the value of wisdom. Why should we go after it? Obviously, obviously, if you want to be happy, we're going to go after God's wisdom. But it's even more than that. There are five qualities of wisdom that make it worth going after. And we'll look at those after we read these verses. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 20. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths were broken up, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Five qualities of wisdom that make it valuable and worth getting and worth striving for and worth focusing on God's wisdom. First one is this, it is, it is profitable. Verse 14 says, For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. You know, abundance is everywhere in our country, even among those that we might consider poor. We always tend to compare ourselves to other people in America, but compared to the rest of the world, we are all surrounded by incredible abundance. Uh, but where is wisdom? Well, money is not solving any of our problems. In fact, in most cases here in America, our focus on money only makes things worse. Uh, people clamor for cash, but they have, they have little or no concern or interest in the wisdom of God or godly principles that can bless our society. Americans buy self-help books by, by the millions of promise answers for a, for a better, more successful you. How to love yourself more and don't do that. Control, how to control your destiny. How to make more money. How to look better. How to feel better. How to live better. And most of those things are filled with the wisdom of men. And 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Solomon says that wisdom is more profitable than money. It is more profitable than gold and silver. He says when we invest our lives seeking God's wisdom... It brings a greater return on our investment, a greater contribution to our lives than gold and silver would. 
If you watch much television at all, or uh, you don't have to be on TV very, very often, and you see some kind of an advertisement for gold and silver. Protect your investments. Protect your money. Get gold and get silver. Solomon says wisdom's better than that. Wisdom is profitable. Brings a greater return on your investment. Her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. So the first quality that makes wisdom worth going after is it's profitable. Secondly, it's precious. Verse 15 says, She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Solomon mentions rubies four times in the book of Proverbs, and they're mentioned in several other places in the Scripture as well. Now, in our modern world today, diamonds are, are the, seem to be the most highly valued gemstone. But in the ancient world, the ruby was number one. Based on its mineral composition, a ruby is basically a red sapphire. And, and it is the second hardest gemstone that, that, that we know of. The diamond is the hardest. The, the ruby is the second hardest. But, it, but in Solomon's day, the, the ruby was the most highly valued of all the gemstones. It was a precious and a prized possession. And yes, Solomon says, if you had to choose between rubies, and no, he's, he, notice he puts that in the plural, she is more precious than rubies, not just having one, but if you had a bunch of rubies, he said, if you had to choose between having rubies, a bunch of them, and wisdom, Solomon says, choose wisdom. It is the most precious and prized possession in the world. There is nothing, Solomon says, you could ever want that could compare with wisdom because she holds the keys to earthly blessings. There in verse 16, it says, length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Those, those, those keys to earthly blessings, he says, are there. And he said, the rubies, he said, that's not, I mean, that's great, okay, you got a ruby. But if you've got to pick between rubies and wisdom, pick wisdom. Even as precious as the rubies were in his day. So, wisdom is profitable, wisdom is precious. Thirdly, wisdom is pleasant. Verse 17, first phrase, her ways are ways of pleasantness. Now, when you think of pleasantness, you probably think of, maybe, I don't know, maybe you think of sitting on a beach somewhere under, under a beach umbrella and sipping a Coca-Cola and watching the waves. Uh, or you think of sitting maybe up on, uh, I think of sitting on my front porch watching the sun go down over the Rockies. Not today, but at some point when the weather's better. Uh, yeah, and and uh, there, there are all sorts of things that, that we picture in our mind when we think of pleasant. Because life is, is filled with struggles, and, and the day-to-day -day routines of life can often wear you down. Part of the reason for that is our perspective. We often talk about stress. I just need to de-stress my life. You know, according to one counseling study, 70% of Americans are experiencing some kind of physical or psychological stress. And if you just were to Google how to relieve stress, you would have millions of results, some more helpful than others. The problem is, in, in, in our world where we have this concept of, I just want to fix this or make it go away, when we have that mentality, what we're often treating is the symptom rather than the cause. And there are many, many causes that may bring stress to our lives, health issues, relationship issues, financial problems, not to mention different traumatic events or tragic events. 
But you know, stress is not primarily our circumstances. It is our response to our circumstances. And, and even when the external circumstances never seem to change, we can readjust our response. We can readjust our perspective by seeking God's wisdom. God's wisdom strengthens our trust in the sovereignty of God. It helps us to focus on God's provision and on His providence and on His goodness. So Solomon says, the ways of wisdom are pleasant. When all these problems and troubles and stresses come to our lives from all sorts of different reasons, a lot of things can become a lot more pleasant if we approach it with wisdom from the Lord. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, not conflict, not stress. Which brings us to the second phrase in verse 17, in our fourth, in our qualities of wisdom, it is peaceful. All her paths are peace. Everybody wants to live life without conflict. <clears throat> it's probably impossible to be totally conflict-free in every situation, in every area of life. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 18, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So it is apparently possible to be conflict-free most of the time if we have the right attitudes and the right perspectives, if we have wisdom, because Solomon says all of her paths are peace. So not only is wisdom profitable and precious and pleasant and peaceful, the fifth thing he says about wisdom is that it's powerful. Verses 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. You know, this is such a deep thought worthy of meditation and understanding that, that, that the Lord created the entire universe through wisdom. What this verse is saying. And it doesn't take much scientific knowledge to be, to be totally amazed when we examine the created world. Carol and I often marvel at pictures of birds around the world that you see on the internet, the colors and shapes and sizes and beak designs and the songs that they sing and all the feeding patterns and so forth. In fact, it's one of the things I, I personally enjoy in the summer months here in Montana. The birds. We've had a big, fat, sharp-tailed grouse sitting on our fence the last four or five days. He's been all around. You just about walk right up next to him. Just stands there and looks at you. It's just kind of fun to watch him. Of course, I said to Carol, maybe we should eat him. But no, we, we won't do that. So anyway, he's, maybe that's what he's asking me. Eat me, eat me. That's why he keeps hanging around. But, but no, he didn't. So no, we just, no we're just watching him. But it's, it, it's one of the things that I personally really enjoy in the summer months here in Montana is the birds. And, and that's just one tiny aspect of, of the created world. Throughout Proverbs, Solomon mentions birds and insects and plants and reptiles and all sorts of things in the created world. In fact, I was just thinking this last week on the incredible nature of the human eye. Just one tiny little detail. In God's, God's, in fact, we get these, uh, 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 these, uh, morning emails every day from a group called Creation Moments. One little short, just a few paragraphs. Let me read you a couple of things to say about the eye. Our eyes do more work and tell more about us than many people realize. 
These amazing organs are so closely tied to the brain that they've been referred to as part of the brain. Your eyes were among the first organs to form. Within four weeks of fertilization, an unborn infant's eyes begin to form. However, those eye muscles will get more of a workout in, in their lifetime than any other voluntary muscle. During any 24-hour period, our eyes will move about 100,000 times. That would be the equivalent in, if, you, if you make that same motion in your legs to walking 50 miles a day. Our eyes secrete different kinds of tears. Normal eyes contain bacteria-fighting chemicals produced by cells in the lining of the eyelid. But emotional tears contain hormones released by the body in response to stress, including a natural painkiller. You heard people say, your eyes play tricks on you. Do your eyes play tricks on you? Yeah, they do, all the time. And they, they regularly play tricks on us with the help of our brains. Repeated research says that, that the images that we are seeing, or think we're seeing, are not exactly what our eyes are, are processing. Our eyes and our brains work together to construct the images that we call sight. And it's not that our eyes are, are out to hoodwink us. Most of the time our eyes are working to help us. Because our brain and our eyes add logical details to the images we see. Every one of us has a blind spot in our vision because there are no vision cells where the optic nerve connects to, 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 to the back of the eye and goes to the brain. No vision cells there. So everybody's got a blind spot right in the middle of their vision. Well, you know what the brain's doing? Instead of showing you a spot of nothing at the blind point in your field of vision, the brain invents an image from all the surrounding details. Your brain pulls the same trick on you when you're proofreading your term paper. Or when I'm writing something and I have my wife look for my typos. Other people find the typos, we may not. You know why? Because our brain knows what we were trying to say. So it automatically shows you a repaired version making your typing errors invisible to you, but not to other people. Your pupils can reveal your thoughts. Studies show that when seeing unpleasant scenes, the pupils retract. Pleasant or interesting scenes cause the pupils to open wider. That's just one tiny piece of this magnificent thing we call the human body. Charles Darwin, the famous evolutionist, said to suppose that the eye with its, with its amazing ability to adjust focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light at different times, for, for correcting spherical and chromatic aberrations, meaning all sorts of different shapes and colors. He said to, to suppose that the human eye could be formed by natural selection. He said, it seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. We don't usually agree with Charles Darwin, but we should do there. To think that the human eye could just happen. It's absolutely amazing. It, it, is, it, it is one incredible piece of this marvelous machine we call the human body. And, and God has taken that same wisdom and he has done all these things in the world. He says, by wisdom he founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. He put all the stars in the sky. He made the Milky Way galaxy turn exactly like it turns. He made the earth go uh, spin around the sun 364 and a quarter days. So it, it, it is so precise in the way all the planets move. 
that, that, that these guys at NASA can calculate exactly when the space shuttles are going to come back, where they're going to re-enter the atmosphere, where they're going to land, where the Earth needs to be spinning. they got it all figured out mathematically. How can they do that? Because creation is so precise. And Solomon says, by wisdom, God founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. He created the water cycle that's essential for life. Created the earth, put the stars in the sky. And Solomon says, he did it all through wisdom. Wisdom is powerful. It, it, it is profitable. It is precious. It is pleasant, it is peaceful, it is powerful. So why in the world wouldn't we want it? Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Finding wisdom is the path to true happiness in God. As I said a moment ago in verse 18, she, meaning wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her or hang on to her. So seek the wisdom of God through the word of God and learn to walk in the ways of God. True happiness can be yours and mine. But it all starts with a personal faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us to Seek your will and your ways through your word. Lord, may we become wiser every single week. Not because we got a little smarter by looking at various things, but because we know more of your word. We know more of what you say to do. We know more of, of, what you, of how you say we should act and how we should live. Lord, maybe we be reminded of this again and again and again. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And Lord, if we really want true happiness in this life and certainly eternal happiness through the Lord Jesus Christ, we must seek your wisdom, godly wisdom from your word. Help us to do so, Lord. We so desperately need it in this confused, mixed up, messed up world. What a call there is for godly wisdom from the people who claim they know you. So help us, Lord, to pursue it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.